Dinner's ready. Wow, looks like somebody had a great day at school today. Not so much at school, but my walk home was awesome. Oh yeah, why is that? Well, first off, I found that lost cat that's been on all those posters everywhere. Whatever, they've been looking for that thing for months. Coyote's got to him. No, Dad, I got to him. I had to climb the big tree at the end of the street just to get him. Wait, you climbed the Grand Cottonwood? Yeah, and it was worth it for the $100 reward. $100, huh? Prove it. Let me see it. Well, I don't have it on me. Figures. Well, I did what you and Mom always told me to do, and I put the money in my savings account. Oh, I'm so proud of you. But that's not the best part. When I was leaving the bank, there was an armored truck. You know, the one that holds all the money? Well, the drivers must have left the doors open. So these two robbers were talking about stealing all the money. So they jumped in the truck and started grabbing as much money as they could. But then I closed the truck doors on them and trapped them in the truck. Wait, wait, wait. So you're a superhero now. Just doing my part. <laughs> right. But that's still not even the best part. The best part is that on my way home, I saw a burning house on fire. Really? Yeah, the owners weren't there, but there were about four or five dogs in the house and they were barking out the window. So I grabbed a big rock and I threw it at the window. I'm not paying for that. Well, the dogs jumped out of the window, but there was one little dog that was too small and he couldn't, he couldn't jump that high. So I ran in the house and I grabbed the dog and then it ran back out of the house right before it blew up. Oh, honey, I really don't think you should be telling such exaggerated stories. Exaggerated? These stories are just unbelievable and flat out lies if you ask me. Now, I don't know what's gotten into you, but if the owner of that house comes knocking on my door asking for money for a window that you broke, oh, there is gonna be... It's probably them right there. Excuse me, excuse me. Is this the home of Sebastian Clark? We have an inside source that says the kid from the video lives here. What video? This video. It has over 20 million views in just a few hours. Is that my son? Sir, can you confirm if your son is also the same boy spotted on a camera today trapping two bank robbers? Excuse me, coming through. Excuse me. Where is he? I want to thank him again for finding my cat. Aww. Sir, can you give us any other Sir, I only have a couple of questions. Unbelievable. Well, that is unbelievable. Friends, let me ask you a question. Have you ever doubted that there's a God, a man who didn't believe that God existed, would spend a quiet day fishing? Suddenly, his boat was attacked by the Loch Ness Monster. The monster was huge. He was fierce. He reached into the boat, grabbed the man, shook him like a dog, began to eat him. When the man cried out, please, God, help me. Well, God heard the man's cries and said, I thought you didn't believe in me. The man said, that's true. But in fairness to me, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster until now either. Friends, have you ever wondered if Jesus is really who he says that he is? I mean, is the Bible really true? Does a person really go to heaven after they die? Did Jesus really rise again from the dead? Now, some of you are even asking me, and you're wondering right now, is it even okay for me to ask questions like this? 
little boy went to his dad and he asked him, he said, Dad, why is the sky blue? Dad said, well, I, I don't know. Little boy said, well, why is the grass green? Dad said again, I don't know. The boy asked him, how come cows eat grass and dogs don't? Dad said, son, I don't know. Little boy said, why do dogs chase cats? Again, the dad said, I don't know, son. Little boy looked at his dad and he said, Dad, do you mind me asking all these questions? <laughs> the dad looked at his son and said, of course not, son. If you don't ask questions, how are you going to learn anything? When I was younger, I had my fair share of doubts about all the stuff that we talk about around here. For about a nine-month stretch, I doubted that Jesus was who he said that he was. I, I doubted if the Bible was really true. I even doubted that there was a God because from my point of view, if there really was a God, he wasn't doing a very good job with the world that I was seeing. Have you ever looked at your life and thought, where's God in the midst of all of this? I mean, why am I still single, right? Or, or why am I not the one with the job? Or why am I stuck in a dead-end job? Why am I going through what I'm going through? I remember one night I was asking my mom these questions and she got really upset with me. In a moment of frustration, she said, Todd, if you don't believe that there's a God, then this is what you should do. You should go and shave your head and join a cult. Now, look at my hair. Take, take a look at a picture of my hair. That is some beautiful feathered hair with business up front and potty in the back. I'm not going to shave my feather head. And it didn't make any sense. If I didn't already believe in a God, why in the world would I go join some wiggity-whack cult that believes in a wiggity-whack God? Friends, listen to me. If you've ever questioned God or had your fair share of doubts about God, then I want you to know that it puts you in some pretty good company. For example, did you know Moses questioned God? When God called him to lead the children of Israel out of slavery and into the promised land, Moses doubted God's power and his ability to use a washed out man like him. And Job, he doubted God too. And one day, Job lost his family. He lost his livelihood. He lost his possessions. He, he lost just about everything. And really, the only thing he didn't lose was his wife, and she wasn't very comforting. She told Job to curse God and die. Job's wife was a real lovely woman, a real glass half full kind of gal. Job and his wife obviously questioned, why would God allow something so bad to happen to him? Did you know the prophet Jeremiah also doubted God? In fact, he's called the weeping prophet. My goodness, Jeremiah got the snot knocked out of him just for telling the people of Judah to repent of their sins. And nobody wanted to listen to poor Jeremiah. And they tried to have him killed on more than one occasion. Even his parents tried to have him killed. David doubted God. Read through the Psalms sometime. I mean, David's got one question after another. Why don't you help me with this? And when are you going to save me from my enemies? John the Baptist, he doubted God. John was in jail, and he wondered whether or not Jesus was really the Messiah, or should we be looking for somebody else? Now, this shocks me because John was there when Jesus was baptized. I mean, he saw the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus like a dove. He heard the voice of God from the cloud saying, this is my son, listen to him. I mean, how in the world can you doubt God when you've seen all that? Well, let me tell you how you can do that. It's when your life makes no sense and you're suffering and you don't understand why. Of course, the most famous doubter in the Bible is one of Jesus's disciples. His name was Thomas. You probably refer to him as Doubting Thomas. Let me set this passage of scripture up for you. 
The 12 disciples have followed Jesus now for over three years. They've had a front row seat to seeing some pretty amazing things go down. They saw Jesus feed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with five loaves of bread and two small fish. They saw Jesus walk on the water. They watched as Jesus healed the blind, the deaf, the mute, and the lame. They've even seen Jesus bring people back to life again. I mean, one guy had been dead for four days. They saw Jesus' power over the weather, telling storms to be still. They were amazed at Jesus' power over demons and darkness. There was absolutely nothing that Jesus couldn't do. They had also heard Jesus' teachings about the kingdom of God. And when he taught, man, his words just pierced their heart deep into their soul. And they also heard Jesus talk about the kind of death that he would endure and how he'd rise again on the third day. And they heard that story over and over and over again. They knew what was coming. They knew what was going to happen. Well, guess what? Everything did happen just the way Jesus predicted that, that it would. The Romans and the religious leaders of that time had Jesus crucified. And from a distance, the disciples watched as Jesus was whipped and beaten and spit upon. From a distance, they heard the hammer hit the nail as it went through Jesus' feet and through Jesus' hands. From a distance, they watched as they lowered Jesus' cross into a hole. They saw the whole earth become dark at 12 noon. They felt the force of the earthquake that occurred just as Jesus breathed his last breath. The disciples knew that Jesus was dead. They knew all about the stone that had been rolled over to cover the entrance of the tomb. They knew all about the Roman seal that was placed on the tomb. And they knew all about the elite Roman guard that stood by the tomb making sure Jesus' body wasn't disturbed. In, in their mind, this was the end. They had just wasted the last three years of their life following Jesus. He was not who he claimed to be. In their minds, Jesus made big claims, did big things, but in the end, he just simply couldn't back it up. Well, three days later, there were some women, and they decided to get up early and go to the tomb of Jesus to put spices on Jesus' body. And when they got there, they found the stone had been rolled away, and the elite guard was gone. According to John's gospel, an angel appeared to Mary Magdalene and told her that Jesus had risen again from the dead. And she was so excited. Man, she was so excited that she ran to tell Peter what had happened. And he was with John, another one of Jesus' disciples. And the two of them ran to the tomb as fast as they possibly could. They wanted to see for themselves what had happened. And sure enough, the stone had been rolled away and the tomb was empty. John looked into the entrance and he believed that Jesus had risen again from the dead, but Peter was unsure. It wasn't until that night as the disciples were hiding together in the upper room with the doors locked that all their doubts were taken away because Jesus appeared to them. Now, can you imagine the celebration they must have had? He's the Messiah. He was who he claimed to be. He had conquered death and the grave. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. Can you imagine how confused Thomas must have been? You say, well, what in the world do you mean? Wasn't Thomas there with the rest of the disciples? He was not. For some reason, Thomas was late that night and missed Jesus' appearance. Maybe there was a football game on TV and he wanted to see how it ended. I don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't there. He missed it. Thomas walked into a room where he thought there'd be weeping and mourning and found a celebration. 
The disciples ran to greet him and they said, we've seen the Lord. You would have thought that would be all that Thomas needed to hear to believe that Jesus had risen again from the dead. But he looked at these men that he had done life with for the last three years and he said, I don't believe you. His exact words were this, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hands into his side, I will not believe it. You can't blame Thomas for this because what the disciples were telling him made absolutely no sense at all. How in the world does a person rise again from the dead? I mean, that's absolutely crazy. Maybe you've got a family member or a friend who thinks all this stuff that we talk about with Jesus is crazy too. And you, you've tried to convince them based upon your experience that Jesus is who he says that he is. You've tried to convince them that Jesus died for their sins too and that he rose again from the dead. And now we can have a relationship with Jesus, but they don't believe you. Do you know why they probably don't? The number one reason people doubt God is because things in their life or in the life of someone that they love didn't work out the way they thought that it should. In their minds, if there's a God that loves them, then why in the world is there cancer? And, and why do little children suffer? And why am I struggling so hard financially? And why am I the one being laid off? And, and why is it that my child has a learning disability? Why did my friend or my family member or my relative die? Avril Lavigne struggled with Lyme's disease and almost died. At the lowest moment of her life, she cried out to God for help. She wrote a song about her doubts and her fears because nothing in her life made any sense to her. Listen to the words of this song. I gotta keep the calm before the storm I don't want less, I don't want more Must bar the To keep me warm Yeah, my life is what I'm fighting for Can't part the sea, can't reach the shore And my voice becomes the driving force I won't
We've all been there, haven't we? If there's a God, then why didn't he step in? Why didn't he do something about all of this? Why didn't he stop it? Do you know what's an unfortunate? It's the fact that we underestimate the damage that mankind's sin has done to the world that we live in. You do realize, don't you, that most of the suffering we face today is because of our sin or the sin of somebody else? We made the wrong choice. And then we expected God to hold back the consequences of that choice. And, or someone else in our life did something that was wrong and we ended up being collateral damage. We all know that when sin entered this world, that death and sickness and suffering and pain came into our world as well, right? I mean, God never promised us that we wouldn't have times of great sorrow. God never promised us that everything would work out the way that we hoped that it would. In fact, Jesus said this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. He doesn't say you might have trouble. He doesn't say you could have trouble. He says you will have trouble. But then he says this. He says, take heart because I've overcome the world. God never promised us a problem-free life. He just promised us that no matter what we faced, we wouldn't face any of it alone. Remember Psalm 23? It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But still we ask, why doesn't Jesus step in and do something about all this? Well, I'm here to tell you that he did. God became flesh and dwelt among us. He walked our streets. He saw our sin. He saw our shame. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And on the cross, he who knew no sin became sin. He took our sin upon himself so that we might be made right with God. Listen, I don't think Jesus' primary mission is that your life turns out the way you think it should. And to be honest with you, I think it's kind of narcissistic that you would even have that thought. It's as if you think God exists for you rather than you existing for God. Can I let you know a little shocker? Jesus' primary mission wasn't to heal every sick person that he ever met. Jesus' primary mission wasn't to make sure that everyone had a comfortable life. Jesus' primary mission wasn't to take all of our problems and magically make them disappear. Jesus' primary mission wasn't to make our lives trouble-free. Jesus' primary mission was to conquer sin and death. Friends, listen to me. Jesus' primary mission was to free us from sin so that one day we could live in a place called heaven, a place where there is no more sickness or suffering or pain. Chemo drips will end. There'll be no cancer, no Alzheimer's disease. There'll be no hospitals, no tests to run, no phone calls of bad news to make. You won't have to look at your kids after a basketball or volleyball game and say, you know, Grandpa would have loved to have seen you play today. There'll be no more children watching their entire world be put into a box and be lowered into the ground. No more parents weeping at the grave of their child. No more goodbyes. No more funerals. And no more graveyards. Because of Jesus, we're going to a place where there's no more sin. Oh, friends, listen. God gets blamed for all the wrongs of this world, doesn't he? We say, well, when bad things happen, it must have been God's will. William Sloan Coffin, one time chaplain at Yale University, lost his son in an accident. And at the funeral, the minister conducting the ceremony made some feeble statement about the accident and the boy's death being God's will. Before he could even finish... William Sloan Coffin stood up and yelled at the preacher, the hell it was. It wasn't God's will at all. When my son died, God was the first one who cried. We ask ourselves, why doesn't God do something about the mess that we've made? Here's the great news, he did. 
He came to take on sin and Satan because he was tired of you and me getting bullied around. John Weiss, in one of his books, shares a story when he was in second grade. John got on the school bus and walked to the seat where he and his brother would always sit together on the way home from school. The bus would stop first at John's elementary school, and then it would go over to the junior high and pick up Judd, John's brother. Well, one day between the time they got on the bus and the time they got to the junior high, a sixth grader and a few of his cronies decided to pick on John. They started picking on him by saying some mean words, and they started flicking his ears, and eventually they ended up punching John on the side of his head and shoving his face against the bus window. By the time they stopped at the junior high, John was trying to hide what had happened, but he'd already shed a few tears, and they were still in his eyes. And so when his brother got on the bus and sat down next to him, he knew something was up. So he sat down, he put his arm around his little brother, and he said, hey, what happened, John? Now, now at first, John didn't want to tell him because he didn't want to seem weak. But a funny thing happened. <laughs> All the other kids on the bus began to tell on the kids who were the bullies on the bus because they had been bullied by those kids too. They said, those guys hit John. Well, Judd turned to his brother and said, is that true? Did they pick on you? All John could do was nod his head. At that, Judd got up, headed for the bullies in the back of the bus. Three boys jumped up to meet him, scared out of their minds. The odds didn't matter. John's older brother channeled his inner Mike Tyson and whooped all three of them. When the bus driver finally pulled John's brother off and walked him down the aisle toward the front of the bus, everyone on the bus erupted with cheers. It was as if a hero had come back from the war. The bus driver sat John's brother down in the front seat and told him not to move. From John's seat, he watched Judd rub his busted lip. Then Judd looked at his brother, hair all messed up, and smiled. He gave a thumbs up as if to say, nobody, nobody messes with my kid brother. Jesus got tired of the bully messing with us. He got tired of the bully messing with the people that he loves. Jesus got tired of sickness and death and all that Satan can bring and all that sin has brought into this world. He got tired of it pushing us around. So Jesus took it on the chin for us. That's why Jesus took a stand for us on a cross. Jesus is tired of Satan bullying us. And I'm telling you, he's big enough and strong enough to do something about it. Friends, there's a day coming when Jesus will push back his sleeves and face Satan once and for all, and it won't even be a fair fight. And the reason it won't be a fair fight is because Jesus didn't stay on the cross. Jesus didn't stay dead, did he? No, death lost, life won, and there's an empty tomb to prove it. Look at what happens next to Thomas. A week later, the disciples are in the house again, and this time Thomas was with them. And Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. You see my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. You stop doubting and you believe. And what was Thomas's reaction to all of this? Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Now that word Lord, it means boss. It means ruler. It's the one who calls the shots. 
And when he said, you are my God, Thomas is saying, you are God in the flesh. You are the alpha and the omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the creator of the ends of the universe. You are God almighty. and You are my Lord. Then Jesus told him, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. So here's the question. What happened to Thomas after seeing the resurrected Jesus? How did he spend the rest of his life? What did Thomas do? Well, ancient testimony tells us that Thomas took the message of Jesus all the way to India. There's a small hill near an airport in India where it's believed that Thomas is buried. And just how did Thomas die? He was killed for his faith by being run through with a spear. Now, here's the question you have to ask yourself. Why did he live his life for Jesus? Why did he die for the cause of Christ? It was because he knew. He knew that Jesus had risen again from the dead. He saw it. He touched the resurrected Messiah. And once you've met the one who's conquered death, you don't fear death anymore. You have your doubts? <laughs> I do too. A lot of things in this world that don't make any sense to me. But I trust that Jesus is who he says that he is. And that Jesus will do what he says he'll do. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you are trustworthy and you are reliable. And who you claim to be is who you are. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You are the King of kings and you are the Lord of lords. And you are the one who conquered death and the grave. And because of what you did, because you died on the cross for our sins, if we'll just trust you to be the leader and forgiver of our life, then you will come into our life and you will change the whole trajectory of it. You'll bring meaning and purpose and significance to our life. Lord, there's so many people who have pushed you away. So many people have had so many doubts about you. Lord, I pray that something that's been shared today has pushed them across the line of faith and they say, I don't need to know anymore. Jesus is who he says that he is. And I pray that today would be the day that they would ask you to come in their life. And Lord, that you would rescue them from themselves. You would cleanse them of their sin. And you would give them a new lease on life. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're waiting for that moment in time when all of your doubts just mysteriously disappear, I want you to know they're never going to. I still have doubts, but I have faith. I have faith that Jesus is who he says that he is. I have faith that he rose again from the dead. And I have faith that if I put my faith and trust in him, that when I die and breathe my last breath on this earth, I'll breathe my very first breath in heaven. Now, friends, maybe you've got a question or two. You say, I'd like to talk to somebody about that. Or maybe you're ready to cross that line of faith and ask Jesus to come into your life. You can call us. You can text us, 505-922-9200. We would love to have a conversation with you and help you any way that we possibly can to take that next step of faith on your journey with the Lord. I hope that you'll call us. I hope that you'll text us. Again, the number 505-922-9200.